Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 15. Our text this Lord's Day will be Exodus 15, 22 through 27. As you turn there, I just want to say once again thank you for the opportunity I have beginning tomorrow. I'll be starting a 30-day sabbatical, and so this is my last opportunity to be with you before that begins. I'm very thankful for that time away. I'm very thankful for our staff team here, for Matt and Nick and Janice and their willingness and ability to just take care of everything so I can have that time away. And I also want to make sure you guys know about something. Uh, Next Sunday, I won't be here, but Pastor Nick will be preaching those four Sundays. And next Sunday actually marks his five-year anniversary at the church. Uh, I told him when he came, there's no way you'll make it five years. Um, (laughs) But if you do, I'm taking 30 days off. So it's worked out really well. Um, But Nick, you are a dear brother, and I'm very thankful for you. And in fact, uh, if you and Laura don't mind to stand uh, so we can show our appreciation to you uh, today. I know you've got a lap full of kids there, but... <laughs> we are thankful to have the Batemans with us, and I uh, want to make sure you knew that that important uh, time was coming up next Lord's Day. Uh, but for today, we'll be in Exodus 15, beginning there in verse 22, if you've been with us. Uh, We are now at a point in Exodus where God has brought His people. He has delivered them um, from the Egyptians. Uh, He has brought them through the Red Sea. We saw that uh, miraculous event where God divided the waters and brought His people safely on dry ground through the Red Sea. And not only did He save them, but with that same miraculous event, He destroyed their enemies. Uh, Those waters swallowed up Pharaoh and his chariots. And then in response to that salvation that God had brought to the Hebrews. Uh, We saw last Lord's Day how they sang and they worshipped and they praised God for His deliverance. And so now we pick up at that point, they have just sang, and and now it's time for them to continue on their journey uh, towards Canaan, towards the land of promise. And so we're going to look at verses 22 through 27, and out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read this text for us this Lord's Day. And this is what the inspired Word of God says. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray today in the name of our Lord Jesus that you might use it in our lives to bring us to faith and repentance as we read about your people and their grumbling and complaining. God, would you make clear to us our own complaints, our own 
grumbling nature, that we might repent of that. I pray, God, that we might trust completely in you this Lord's Day. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to this place in Exodus 15, and we're reminded how quickly we can forget, how quickly we can go from praising God to complaining. We see this picture of God's people. One moment they're singing praise to the Lord, and the next minute they are complaining. I think this is a very helpful text to us. All of the Scripture is helpful to us, but this in particular because we live in a culture of complaints. We are surrounded by complaints. We are encouraged to complain. And in fact, it's hard to go somewhere to eat or go to a business now where you aren't asked to give your opinion. Oftentimes on the receipt there from the, the, the drive through at the fast food chain, they want to know your opinion, your thoughts, your complaints. They are invited and they are encouraged. And so we live in this culture now where we become prone to tell everybody our opinion. And many of the times, that opinion is one of complaints. And sometimes, well, those complaints can be a bit nitpicky. I was reminded of this not long ago when I was reading about a list of hotel chains. They listed off some of their more unusual complaints they had received from travelers when they asked for their feedback. Uh, one hotel guest complained that the bed sheets were too white. Another, who had ordered room service, complained that the, the ice cream was too cold. Another, perhaps you've had this complaint, complained that the bathroom was too big. It's always hard when you get lost in those hotel bathrooms. And this was my favorite. One hotel guest complained because they weren't given an ocean view room, and then when they were moved to an ocean view room, they complained because the ocean was too loud. Perhaps they could turn the ocean down for them. And we become pretty nitpicky in our complaints and we're invited to complain. And, and maybe your complaints this morning aren't that the, the bed sheets are too white or the bathroom's too big, but, but you probably have found yourself complaining nonetheless. We tend to complain when our expectations are not met. When we thought things would go one way and they don't go as we thought they would. When people, places, or events fail to meet our expectations, we tend to complain and grumble. And one of the times we're tempted to complain the most is when we find ourselves in a situation that we did not expect to be in. When we find ourselves suffering. When we find ourselves in a trial or a tribulation. And that's where we find God's people as we look to this text in Exodus 15. They have just come off of a great triumph. They have just seen God do the miraculous. They have just sang of God's glory and sang His praises. Remember the final verse of that song we read there in verse 18? The Lord will reign forever and ever. And now, just a few days later, they find themselves complaining. Well, I hope as we look at this passage today, perhaps God might help us to deal with our own complaining nature and help us to see in this text how gracious and how faithful He is to us, even when we're grumbling and complaining. Uh, beginning with that first point I've put there in your outline, this reminder that triumph is often followed by tribulation. Triumph is often followed by tribulation. 
Uh, the text picks up here that Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. Again, uh, there they are, camped on the banks of the Red Sea. You remember not long before this, they were on the other side of the Red Sea. And when they were on that side of the Red Sea, uh, they were in a situation where they had death on one side. Uh, the Egyptian army was coming after them, Pharaoh and his chariots, bringing with them certain death. And they had death on the other side. The Red Sea was impassable. They couldn't cross it on their own. And God parts those waters, takes them through, destroys their enemies, and now they're encamped on the other side, and they're praising God for His provision. And we estimate that there were about 2 million Israelites at this point that had left out of Egypt. And so you can imagine as they are singing this praise, the Lord will reign forever and ever, the Lord will reign forever and ever, fresh off this victory, and Moses has to go through the camp and say, okay, we're, we're not at the promised land yet. Now, this isn't it. Now, we need to keep marching ahead. So, so pack up all your things, get all your provisions. It's time for us to continue on our journey. And as they do, we see that their song quickly changes. And verse 22 continues, they, they went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. And so we see these songs of praises are soon going to turn to complaints and grumbling and murmurs. I think perhaps that God's people may have been expecting that the trials and the suffering and the tribulations were over. They had gone through so much in those 430 years in Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. Their enemies were destroyed. Perhaps at this moment they're thinking, okay, finally, around the corner, we'll get to the promised land. But no, there's further trials, further tribulations to come. Philip Ryken in his commentary on Exodus notes this. He says, God's people may have well expected to head straight for Canaan, going right from grace on to glory. Instead, their triumph was followed by tribulation. God's plan did not call for any shortcuts. The promised land could only be reached by the way of the wilderness. And then he noted this. Going through the wilderness was not necessary for Israel's salvation, but it was necessary for their sanctification. My friends, we find that the, the wilderness plays that same role in our lives today. And God doesn't need to take us through these trials in order to save us. He has saved us, but He takes us through these trials in order that He might sanctify us, that He might call us to be more like His Son, to be more dependent on Him, to trust in Him more, to repent of sin, to grow in our faith. And so we see this opportunity begin given to God's people, and yet they seem to be a bit surprised by it all. They seem to be a bit shocked by it all. Again, perhaps they were expecting just to go right into the promised land, to have no more troubles, no more problems. I find that often in the church today, that's, that's kind of our expectation when we become a Christian. Oftentimes, we as the church falsely sell the gospel as, if you just come to Christ and bring all your burdens to the Lord, then everything's going to work out for you. And so we become prone to thinking in the church that if, if we just come to the Lord with everything, everything's just going to work out. Surely when we go to the doctor, the report will be good. 
Surely we'll get the promotion at work. Surely we'll get the deal on the house. Surely our kids will be okay. Surely our family will walk with the Lord. And we have this idea that everything's supposed to work out for us. But friends, do you understand that the Scripture tells us, and the pattern in Scripture is this, that so often triumph is followed by tribulation, and the Christian life comes with a lot of hardship and a lot of tribulation. And this whole notion, this whole idea that everything's supposed to work out, that if you just have enough faith, it will all work out for you, that, that's a false gospel. That, that's a lie. That's not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, we see this pattern over and over again in the Scripture that triumph often follows tribulation. Think about Elijah. Well, some of you are familiar with 1 Kings 18. There in 1 Kings 18, you have Elijah facing off against the false prophets of his day. Those who the Scripture tells us ate at the table of Jezebel, this wicked woman. And so these false prophets, there's 850 of them. Elijah challenges them to, to kind of a showdown here. And so he, the one prophet of the true God, is going to go up against 850 false prophets of false gods. And if you're familiar with that passage, it's glorious. God is victorious. In fact, that passage ends with those 850 false prophets being slaughtered. The one true God reigns. This is literally a mountaintop experience for Elijah. And do you know what then happens in 1 Kings 19? 1 Kings 19, Elijah's hiding in a cave. He's scared for his life. And Jezebel threatens him, and he runs and flees and hides. Coming off perhaps one of the highest points in his ministry, he finds himself quickly in one of the lowest points in his ministry. His triumph is followed by tribulation. And that's the pattern we see so often in the Scripture. Think about the disciples and the ministry of our Lord Jesus. The disciples are called to leave everything behind to come and be fishers of men. Christ calls them to, to leave everything to follow Him. He speaks of this kingdom. And they begin to talk and have conversations about what role they're going to play in the kingdom and who's going to be first. They're thinking that Christ is not only the Messiah, their notion of the Messiah is that He's going to set up a kingdom here and now. He's going to reign. So when they're going into Jerusalem... On this high, holy event, the Passover, they're thinking, this is it. Jesus is going to clear this place out. He's going to set up camp here and now. We're going to reign with Him here and now. And they gather around that Passover meal together. And Jesus continues to talk about how He's going to the cross. They, they don't understand this. They're, they're thinking, this is glory. This is triumph. You've conquered. You've raised the dead, the, the blind can see, the deaf can hear. What, what more do you need to do? It's time. It's time now. And in just days that follow that, Christ will be falsely accused, condemned to die, put on the cross. And what will they do? And much like Elijah, they will run and they will flee and they will hide. Their perceived triumph is followed by tribulation. And friends, it's so often true in our lives as well. If, if you were here this morning and you have come in with this idea that, that the Christian life is supposed to be an easy life, well, let me share with you what the Scripture says about that. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised 
at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So when, when trials and tribulations come, we sang about this earlier, when these things come, the response of the believer should never be, I'm surprised. <laughs> I didn't expect this. I don't know why this is happening. And we may not know all details we may not be able to piece it together but the scripture said we should never be surprised in fact the scripture tells us when those trials come we should count them as joy james chapter one counted all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness we can have joy because we understand there's purpose in our pain and that's what we see here. God has a purpose for this trial and this suffering in the life of His people. Which brings us to the second point there in your outline. A tribulation is an opportunity to trust in the Lord. Tribulation is an opportunity to trust in the Lord. Verse 23 tells us that they came to Marah. That word in the Hebrew means bitterness. In fact, perhaps it was named Marah after they came there or before because someone else tasted the water because the water was bitter. And so you can imagine what this was. There are two million people journeying through the wilderness and running out of water, and they are thirsty. And there they see off in the distance, oh wait, there's water. And perhaps they start singing again, verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, you provided water for us until the first one gets to that water and, and scoops some up and drinks it. And just spits it right out. Because it was bitter. They couldn't drink it. And as they drink this, this bitter water, here they have this opportunity to trust in the Lord. See, God had already showed the Hebrews that, that water could be changed into whatever He wanted it. That, that God was sovereign over the water. That God had control over the water. Think about the plagues. What did God do with the water? That the river, the Nile, God turned to blood. So, so God can change the properties of the water in an instant. Bitter water is not a problem for a sovereign God. And not only that, what did they just come from? They walked through a sea because God pulled the water back and walled it up. And they walked through it. God has shown His people, you can trust me when it comes to water. That You don't have to worry about the water. I am all-powerful. I have power over the water. And so this is an opportunity for them to trust in God. And yet notice how they respond there in verse 24. Given this opportunity to trust in God, this text tells us, and the people grumbled. If you have the King James, it's actually a better translation on this verse. It says, the people murmured. That the Hebrew word used here, the context is that they repetitively complained over and over and over and over and over again. And they continued to complain. You can imagine <coughs> perhaps their, their sarcasm came out a bit right now, you know. Oh, great, there's water. Well, can't drink this water. You know, Moses, we really appreciate you bringing us to this water we can't drink. Uh, where was there water that we could drink? Oh yeah, there was water we could drink back in Egypt, Moses. Thanks a lot, Moses. Do you notice that's who they're complaining to here? Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us they complain to God, they complain to Moses. But we've already seen Moses is the mediator. So 
So Moses goes to God on the people's behalf, and Moses goes to the people on God's behalf. And so they're issuing this complaint against God, against Moses, by crying out to him and complaining to him, what shall we drink, what shall we drink, what shall we drink? Why do they complain? Same reason we complain. Their expectations were not met. Perhaps they expected when the waters closed up on the Egyptians that there would be no more suffering and no more trials. After all, 430 years they spent in Egypt. Perhaps they thought now it's time for the promised land. God is delivered. Now we're saved. On to the good life. Whatever it was, I don't think they were expecting trials and tribulations. And when they came, they struggled to trust in the Lord. And friends, the same is so often true in our life. I usually don't find people complaining when things are going well. I've not gotten, not been to too many hospital visits when somebody's holding a healthy baby and gone to them and had them give a lot of complaints, you know. Usually don't walk in that room, oh, how are things going? Well, be better if this kid was prettier, you know. I really wasn't ready today. I was really hoping it would come tomorrow. I mean, this is ridiculous. And Grandparents outside, oh, another baby. Oh, no, I can't stand this. No, what is it? Have you seen the baby? It's the most beautiful baby ever, isn't it? There's never been a baby this perfect. This is the most beautiful baby in all the world. Have you seen him? I mean, how, how, do, how do parents, how do grandparents act when they get a picture of the baby? I mean, it's like they've discovered some ancient biblical relic. You've got to see this. You've never seen a picture of a baby, have you? They're proud and they're excited. They're joyful. They don't complain. See, when we have good things, perceivably good things in life, we don't tend to complain. But when do we often complain and grumble and murmur? When things don't go as we expected, when, when hardships come, when things don't work out. What we have in our mind somewhere embedded there this idea that if we just do the right thing, if we live the good Christian life, everything's supposed to go well for us. And we might not say it that way, but it's, it's in there. It's rooted. I was at a visitation years ago down in Bowling Green. The church that Sandy and I used to be at there. And, uh, it's one of our deacons. Man who had led a lot of ministries in our church. His mother had passed away, but just a, she had just suffered, had an awful illness, had passed away, still fairly young. And as I was there with him at the visitation talking to him, I'll never forget, he turned to me and he said, Pastor, I'd, th- this isn't how it was supposed to work out. He said, I- I've done what I was supposed to do. <laughs> I've been faithful, I've brought my family to church I've given to the Lord I've served the Lord I've done all these things the Lord asked of me this isn't how it was supposed to happen and then he said this to me he said pastor the Lord didn't hold up his end of this deal and so I don't know that I'm going to hold up my end of it anymore 
I think I'm just going to go do what I want to do. Now, now, maybe you haven't said that. But maybe you've been tempted deep down to, to think that sometimes. That this whole arrangement's all good and well as long as God is giving you what it is you need and what you desire and what you think you deserve. But when that stops and when God doesn't do that, then all bets are off. I've spent many hours looking through the roles of this church and members who have not been here for decades. And so often a common thread when I begin to inquire and even begin to talk to people about their lapsed attendance, there's this common thread that, oh, they were really involved until they lost their mom, they lost their dad, they had this tragedy happen. And so often when that suffering comes in our life, we're not prepared for it. And at times, we even begin to complain about it. And we see here God's people complaining. And when we complain, we fail to see that God has a purpose for this pain. See, God wants to grow His people. There's a reason, men and women, that God doesn't just snatch us up to heaven ten seconds after we become Christians. You ever think about that? I mean, wouldn't it be a bit easier if you went from down the aisle, in the tank, up to heaven? No more pain, no more suffering, glory. But God's got a purpose for the wilderness in our lives. One commentary I read this week said it this way about the Hebrews in Exodus 15. It was... One thing to sing the praises of their deliverer and quite another thing to live out that faith when confronted with the problems of ordinary living. Overcoming the latter challenge would bring them to a clear understanding of themselves and what it meant to have faith in the Lord. And so we see here this opportunity for God's people to grow and for us to grow through, through trial and tribulation. But here's, here's the good news. <laughs> Even when we fail, like God's people are failing here, they're not trusting in the Lord, they're, they're crying out and they're complaining, even, even when we utterly fail, God is still faithful. And that's the point that will take us into the Lord's Supper here in a moment. Point three, the, the Lord is faithful even when we struggle to have faith. The Lord is faithful even when we struggle to have faith. Note what happens here. So the people are grumbling and murmuring and complaining and so Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a log. Literally translated, he shows him a tree. That tree perhaps was still growing. Perhaps he told Moses, okay, go cut that tree down and throw that tree in the water. And so he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. And now they can drink the water. And not only that, then God gives them this statute and rule and says, listen, just listen to my voice and do what's right and, and give ear to my commandments, and I, I'm going to take care of you. And he's going to do all of these things despite their utter failure here. This is such a vivid reminder to us that God is faithful even when we struggle to have faith. See, God doesn't give His people in this moment what they deserve. He doesn't tell His people, oh, you want to complain? Well, you can just, you can just stay here then. I mean, think about it this way. A little moment of confession for you. Parents, grandparents, 
whoever's been in a road trip with children in the car. How many of you, now I'm going to ask you to raise your hands here, okay? You don't have to walk the aisle, but you're going to have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever been on a road trip and had a child in the car who complained? Oh, come on. Some of y'all aren't even awake. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you, now don't raise your hand because this won't go well for you probably. We have to call social services, but. How many of you on that road trip when the child complained said, well, you can just get out of the car right now and dropped him off and just kept going? And I'm not asking you if you thought about it. I'm asking you how many did it. Well, we've taken many road trips with our children. Mom and Dad used to live in North Carolina, and so we'd go to North Carolina, and so we, you know, we weren't out of Kentucky yet. I, I, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. How much longer? I'm like, we're not even out of Bloomfield yet. And I tell you what, I'm no saint, but I didn't drop any of them off in Tennessee. Now, I might have, when I walked to my parents' house, said, well, you can have them now. But I took them to the destination. How much more? How much more can we trust an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, benevolent, sovereign God who has told us the destination, who has promised to take us there, He is not going to drop us off on the way. No matter how much we whine or complain or struggle or lack faith, we are held by Him. And He holds us because of the truth of the Gospel. Friends, this is what the Gospel teaches us. Here's what the Gospel is not. Many of you have heard, perhaps have said this expression, God helps those who help themselves. God help you if you say that to me. That is a lie from the devil. That is not in the Scripture. Look at this. Can these people help themselves? Had they gone by the, 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 the camping supply store that day and gotten pills to turn bitter water into sweet water? They can't do anything to help themselves. There's nothing they can do here. They will die and they will be dehydrated in the desert apart from a miracle from God. God is showing them through a miraculous way, take a tree, throw it in the water, not by human means, but by supernatural means, that He's their provider, just like He shows us that in the Gospel. The Gospel is not an invitation. Well, try really hard and help yourself, and once you make some effort, well, I'll finish the task for you. The gospel is good news, friends, not because we're struggling to stay afloat and God throws us a life preserver. The gospel is good news because we're dead on the bottom of the ocean floor. Our lungs are full of water. We are rotten corpses. And God reaches down, snatches us out, breathes life into our lungs and makes us new. That's the gospel. And so we're reminded in this passage of just the supernatural means through which God works, how He is so faithful to us. And note how He does it through a piece of wood, through a tree. It reminds us of the beauty of the Gospel. That God doesn't wait until we come begging. He 
shows His love toward us, we read in Romans 5.8. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then note this. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He who knew no sin took on our sin. But note how he does it. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul goes back to Deuteronomy 21 where it says, Cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. That verse in Deuteronomy 21, that word for tree, same Hebrew word used here in Exodus 15. Same word used when God tells Moses, take that tree and throw it in the water. When we see these pictures all over the scripture, God's telling his people, you, you thirst, you want to live, look to that tree. <laughs> Friends, are you, are you thirsty today? You want to live? Look to the cross. See, God provided a tree for us too. And he put his son, his only begotten son, his perfect and holy son, on that cross who did not deserve death but who died in my place and in yours, because that's exactly what we deserve. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may look around this morning and say, well, I'm not that bad. In fact, maybe you could pick out some people in this room that are worse than you. Well, just know they're doing the same looking at you right now. (laughs) I'm not as bad as them. Well, they're not as bad as you. No, friends, we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. And the gospel of grace towards us isn't, well, once we pull ourselves up and once we try really hard, God will finish the task. The gospel of grace is this. When we come to this knowledge and understanding the truth, if we will simply repent and have faith, He will save us. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no man may boast. And so here we see this picture of the gospel and of the faithfulness of the Lord. And notice there what God does in verse 27. They were grumbling and complaining over bitter water. God makes the water sweet. But not just that. What does He do in verse 27? He takes them to springs of water and palm trees. (laughs) He just overwhelms them with His grace. He says, I'm going to give you plenty of water. I'm going to give you shade. I'm going to provide. And friends, He says the same thing to us this morning. Listen, the gospel message is not that we put our hope in getting a clear bill of health and getting a promotion at work and getting a a good deal on a house and doing our taxes in April and saying, well, again, I've just got so much money, I don't know what to do with it. The gospel of grace is that no matter what suffering or trial or tribulation, hardship, sickness, death, suffering, cancer, sudden loss, no matter what it is that comes upon us today, we have hope in a day that is to come. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's no more crying, no more tears. He's wiped death off the face of a new earth. And we trust in Him. And we look forward to that day when we are by the springs and in the shade and basking in the glory of God. And He's given us this reminder in this day to hold fast to the Gospel because He's holding fast to us. And we have that every time we come to the Lord's table. The Lord's table is a reminder 
to us that no matter what trial or suffering may come, Christ is victorious. They, they put His body on the cross. He, he bled and died. But in doing that, He conquered sin and death so that we might have life. 